Okay, so this week we're in Acts chapter 15. If you're visiting, we've been going through the book of Acts together, and uh, this week we're looking at Acts 15 verses 1 through uh, 35, and this is a, a huge, huge section that we are covering today, and I don't mean that just because of the number of verses that we are covering, but because of uh, the subject that we're covering, and it is huge uh, for for us and for Christianity as a whole. So pa Paul and Barnabas, we've been reading about them. Um, they've returned to their home church in Antioch after their, their first missionary journey. And really, this is the first sending out of missionaries that is recorded um, by the church. As they've gone on these missionary journeys, we've read about the Holy Spirit being with them in great power. People were being miraculously healed. Uh, the Holy Spirit was with Paul and Barnabas and the disciples as well. They were miraculously protected and cared for uh, on these journeys. Um, Jews and proselytes to Judaism both. Um, were becoming believers everywhere that they went and shared the gospel. Um, they were becoming believers, believing that Jesus is indeed the promised one uh, and that he has done exactly what he said that he would do. But not only was it the, the Jews and the proselytes who were believing, so are Gentiles. And the Gentiles that I'm referring to are the Gentiles who, who previously have had nothing to do with Judaism. In some places in the Bible, they're called or referred uh, to as pagans, right? And so pagans who, who knew nothing of the God of the Jews are becoming believers, believers in God and believers in Jesus as, as the promised one. We read last week in chapter 14, verse 27, uh, that God was opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. And this was no minor thing. And really, that's what we're looking at in these verses today. Just what a, a huge, huge thing this was. Up until now, um, the majority, vast majority uh, of, of Gentiles who were believing the gospel, they seem to have First of all, not been a whole lot of them, and, and second of all, they were, they were proselytes, right? They had already said, we believe in the God of the Jews, and so this was who was coming to faith. But now as Paul and Barnabas are traveling further and further from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and going towards the ends of the earth, they are encountering more and more Gentiles who are further and further away from God, and that is changing um, the face of Christianity and changing the face uh, of the church. Uh, and so with that comes some, some stress, some strains, and some huge, huge questions. Who can be saved? I mean, and that, 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 was, that was one of the questions. Who can be saved? How can they be saved? Does someone have to become a Jew in order to be saved? Do they have to uh, become a proselyte if they weren't born Jewish? Do they, do they have to do that in order to become a Christian? Do they have to keep the law and the feasts and the festivals in order to be accepted by God? Now, those were the big questions, and that's what we're going to be talking about. But these questions are still relevant today, right? We may say things differently, but, but every day we are faced with the same questions. What, what does someone need to do in order to be saved? In order to be right with God. So, huge chapter. 
Huge chapter for Christianity, huge chapter for us. I want us to pray together and then jump in. And, and I want us to pray. Pray that, um, my prayer this morning has been that the Holy Spirit would make much of this good news. Uh, it is beautiful news. And I think sometimes we take it for granted. So pray with me that in your own heart, that God would, would, would bring to life the beauty of the gospel that we're talking about. And that, that, that he would fill us with joy over this incredible news. Joy that would overflow from us to others as well. Would you pray that with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, your incredible grace. Grace that we take for granted so often. Grace that uh, we forget. Grace that is hard for us to really believe because... We are conditioned so differently than this. Uh, so I pray today, Father, that you would give us joy in the gospel. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to, uh, to see and to experience today fresh and new the beauty of the good news, the beauty of Jesus. And I pray that you would fill us with joy, uh, joy not just today, but joy in the days to come. As you remind us again and again, Holy Spirit, of this beautiful news, I pray that the joy would, would be so, so filling that it would overflow our lives to others and that we would share our joy with them and invite them into that same joy. Those are big asks, Father, and, and we need help. Uh, so we pray. We pray that you would be good and gracious, that your Holy Spirit would, um, would help us, help us in all of these ways. Uh, for your glory, Father, and the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 15 is where we are. We're going to look at verses 1 through 35. Um, and we're going to start with the question, and the question is, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Verses 1 through 6. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the, customs, to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So Paul and Barnabas, as we saw last week, I mentioned earlier, they had come back to Antioch, their home church, the church that sent them out. They had been doing life with their, their family there, um, teaching, preaching, sharing the gospel with others. And while they were there, some believers, believers from Judea, came there and began to teach that unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, and unless you keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so the question arises, do Gentiles, non-Hebrew, non-Jewish people have to become Jewish in order to be saved? 
Now, we have to understand this is a legitimate question for them, right? The whole, the whole world was changing. Um, up until now, Gentiles uh, could become Jewish or could be, uh, maybe a better way of saying it, could become God's, a part of God's covenant people by essentially doing two things. They had to do these two things. They had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law of Moses, Now, this wasn't really new. Even before Israel was a nation, even before there was a law, God had established circumcision as the sign of his covenant with his people. This was the mark of his people. And in Exodus chapter 12, God extended that from those born Hebrew as his people to the nations. God extended it to the nations, but they too had to come in and be circumcised. So the question of who can be saved, asking, asking this, is it, is, it, is it still true that only Jews or those brought into the covenant through circumcision and the keeping of the law of Moses, are, are they the only ones who can be a part of God's family? Are they the only ones who can be right with God, who can be Christians? Do we have to do these things in order to be saved? So we have all of these Gentiles hearing, hearing about Jesus, believing, can they be saved? What must they do, the, 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 the people are rightly, Jewish people are rightly asking, what, what must they do to be a part of this family, to be one of us? So the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem got together to, to, to talk about and to debate this question, to consider what was going on. And really, what they're considering is, what is God doing? What is, what is God doing? Their answer shaped Christianity, right? For every Christian since then, our faith was shaped by this meeting. It shapes us today. So let's, let's look at, 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 at what they worked through and how they worked through it. Um, answering that question, what, what must someone do to be saved? The apostles and the elders from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and, and some maybe further away like Paul and Barnabas, they convened to sort through all of these questions and all that it meant, and they debated, right? The first thing that we see as they, is that they debated. Verse 7 says, after... There had been much debate, right? A lot of debate. Peter stood. Now, I point this out because this was no small matter, and we shouldn't just read over it. Oh, they, they, they talked about it. They fought. Like, like they were duking it out with each other uh, uh, over this. This was, this was, this was fighting. They were, they were arguing with one another. It was much, much, much debate. In, in, in fact, what we just read about there being much debate comes after what had happened when those teachers came to where Paul and Barnabas were, and, and they began to tell the people there, oh, you're not really saved yet. You have to be circumcised, and you have to keep the law of Moses and believe in Jesus, and then you can be saved. And, and we read there there was no small dissension and debate. Like Paul and Barnabas were, were giving them what for? For coming in and saying that. This was heated. And some were very passionate and persuaded that, that, that circumcision and the law were necessary. Others obviously were very passionate and arguing against that. 
And, and we should know this. Sometimes uh, matters in our faith are really important and they are worth fighting for. The gospel is one of those matters. Now, at the same time, there are other things that it is ridiculous that we fight over. But when it comes to the gospel, this is something worth fighting over. And that's what they were doing. They debated. And and then we read that they gave testimony, right? Um, Personal testimony to what had been seen and heard. This started with Peter. And so as they are talking about what's going on and asking these questions, Peter reminds the council of Cornelius. We read about Cornelius and his household in chapter 10. Verse 7 says um, here, verse 7 says, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. So Peter is reminding the, the, the council of what happened in Acts chapter 10 when God sent him to Cornelius's house. Cornelius, a Gentile, not a proselyte, not a Jew, a Gentile. Peter says, I, I shared the gospel and God led the Gentiles to believe. But even more than this, God bore witness, right? This is so huge. God bore witness of their salvation when he gave them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. Now, if you remember when we talked about this in Acts chapter 10, right? So, so the book of Acts starts off with Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes with power. And, and, and they knew the Holy Spirit was there. It was no denying God was doing something incredible because everyone who was gathered and praying began to speak in tongues. And, and, and they heard the commotion. People outside heard the commotion. They heard these people speaking in, in different languages, speaking in their own language. It was a huge deal. The Holy Spirit had come with power. Power, and it was undeniable for the Jews. So now we turn the page, the pages to chapter 10, and now the gospel is going to these Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles. This is Peter's argument. The Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles just like the Holy Spirit came to us. And when they believed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. In Cornelius' home, right? Peter, if you remember the story, was still preaching. He hadn't even finished his message. Already they believed the Holy Spirit dropped in and the people began worshiping and, and praising God and speaking in tongues. Again, it was undeniable that the Holy Spirit had filled these new Gentile believers. He gave them his spirit right then. Peter says, they heard, they believed, their hearts were cleansed, and they were saved by by faith, just like us. And then Peter asks a very important question. If this is true, why would we put God to the test by burdening the Gentiles with a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we were able to carry? And he's talking about keeping the law of Moses. So Peter concludes, we are saved by faith in Jesus, period. 
We are saved by faith in Jesus, not by circumcision or keeping the law. We've all failed to do that. That's what Peter is saying. This was a a yoke that we could not keep. We are saved by faith in Jesus. This is the grace of God. Peter is saying, I believe the Gentiles are saved in the exact same way. This is the testimony that we have of how God worked with Cornelius and his entire household. So Peter gives a testimony. And then Paul and Barnabas testify to the miracles of God among the Gentiles, right? So Peter shares his testimony. Verse 12 says that the the whole council fell silent. And then Paul and Barnabas, they begin to talk about the miracles that were done among the Gentiles. Verse 12 says that, that they testified of what they had witnessed as they shared the gospel among the Gentiles. The same signs and wonders that took place among the Jews, they witnessed as well among the Gentiles. The lame walk, demons are cast out. The Lord was doing the same miracles with the Gentiles as he had done with the Jews. It was just like they saw in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came with great power. So they testify, right? Peter shares his testimony. Uh, Paul and Barnabas share their testimony. And then James testifies from Scripture. From Scripture. James says, listen, Peter's words ring true with the words of the prophets. Verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, talking about Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind, not just the remnant of Jews, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Right? So what, what, what Peter is doing is, is, is saying, hey, it's not only true in the experience of Paul and Barnabas. It's not only true in the experience that, uh, that Peter had. But, but what is happening we see in Scripture. The Old Testament prophets said, this is what is going to happen. The Lord himself spoke through them and said, here is what I am going to do. I am going to rescue. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to restore all the peoples of the earth the gentiles will be my people scripture old testament scripture confirmed exactly what the other testimonies were now here's what i want to say with that our testimony and experience should always align with scripture when, when we experience something, when we feel something, when we have emotions about something, our feelings and our emotions are, are not the ultimate decider. We take our feelings, we take our experiences, we take our emotions to Scripture, and we see what the Lord says. Feelings, emotions, ideas, experiences, they're all powerful without a doubt, and they are meaningful, but sometimes they're misguided and wrong. But what is not misguided or wrong is the word of God, ever. James says, what you testify of, the prophets prophesied of, and based on this, we should make a conclusion, right? So here's the council's conclusion, verse 19. 
Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, in their conclusion, there are two parts that I want to talk about. I think both of them extremely important for us. Um, The first one is they are concluding that we are free from the law. There There is freedom from the law. Salvation is by grace through faith. Based on the fact that God was bringing the Gentile people to repentance and filling them with his spirit. And he was doing this apart from the law and apart from circumcision. And, and, and based on the testimony of scripture as James shared. Uh, the Jerusalem council all agreed salvation is an act of God's grace enjoyed by faith in the person and work of Jesus. That's it. There is no work required. We, we don't, their conclusion, right? There's no work required. It is faith in the work of Jesus. Their conclusion, we don't have to keep the law in order to be saved. In fact, what they said was, we can't keep the law. Why in the world would we burden them with the law? The law is not necessary for salvation. We don't have to be circumcised, they say, in order to be saved. It is the work of Jesus who saves us when when we come to him by faith. Faith in who he is and in what he has done for us. Faith in his life, his death, his resurrection, right? Believing, trusting in him and not in our own abilities and, and, and the things that we can do to save ourselves. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. Believe that. Jesus died the death that we deserve, suffering the very wrath of God that should have been ours because of our sin. Jesus died the death that we deserve. On the third day, Jesus was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan, so that we might, through this faith in his work and through the work that he has done for us, so that we might live forever and ever and ever with him in the presence of the Father. Believe this. Paul would later write to the the church in Ephesus, by grace, by grace are you saved through faith. By grace, a free gift from God, are you saved through your faith, and this not of yourselves. It, It is a gift of God. Why? So that none of you can boast in yourselves. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no secret handshake. That's, that, that, that's what they're saying. There, there, there's, there's no secret handshake. There's no password to get into this club. There's no right things for you to do uh, that, that, that will get you in. There is Jesus. Period. Exclamation. There's Jesus. In, in, a, in addition to the testimonies uh, of the apostles and of the Old Testament prophets, in, a, in addition to this Jerusalem council, as I'm reading it, like it, it really excites me. I'm so thankful that this is the gospel. I, I, am, I am excited for this. And, and, and whenever I hear, like in, in our culture, we still live in a culture where people say, yeah, it's Jesus, but man, you've got to get yourself together. 
you got to get yourself together in order to go see Jesus, or after you've seen Jesus, you've still got to get yourself together, or he's going to be angry with you. When I, when, I, when I hear people talk about the things that we have to do, I, I'm reminded of this counsel, but I'm also reminded of the thief on the cross. There were, there were two who hung with Jesus. One of the two who hung with Jesus railed against Jesus, made fun of Jesus. The other defended Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. See, that, that thief hanging on the cross believed who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And so he said, believing Jesus, defending Jesus. Jesus, when you, when you come into your kingdom, you are the king. You are the Lord and this will be your kingdom. And when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And how did Jesus respond to him? Jesus said, today... You will be with me in paradise. By grace through faith. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus did not say, Jesus did not say, Oh, I would love to save you, but clearly you haven't kept the law. I mean, that's why you're here, right? Jesus did not say, I, I really wish that I could do that for you, but you haven't been baptized. So maybe if you could get down from here and be baptized, you could be with me in paradise. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I, I would love to, to be with you in paradise for you to be with me, but you haven't had the Lord's Supper. You've got to have communion, my supper. Or you haven't properly confessed your sins to, to the priest. And if you had done those things, then maybe you could be with me. Jesus didn't say any of that. Jesus didn't ask him, hey, have you been circumcised? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The good news is all about Jesus. It is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the good things that I've done or that I will do. It's not about the good things that you've done or you will do. It's not about all the bad things that you have avoided in your life. The good news is Jesus. Jesus. Not Jesus plus anything, just Jesus, right? It's not Jesus plus baptism. It isn't Jesus plus the sacraments. It isn't Jesus plus keeping all of the rules. It isn't Jesus plus your church attendance. It isn't Jesus plus three years of doing door-to-door -door evangelism. It isn't Jesus plus any of your works. It isn't Jesus plus anything. It is just Jesus. Believing, trusting in him, his life, his death, his resurrection, that is where we are saved. But he doesn't, he doesn't just save us. And I, I need for some of you to hear this as well, because some of you are like, yeah, I got that part down. But I need you to hear this part as well. Believing doesn't just save us, it, it is also what sustains us. We, we aren't just saved by his grace. We are sustained and kept by his grace. What I mean by that is, is that, that, that we stay God's 
people, we remain God's children, not because we do good, but by His grace. In Ephesians 1, Paul wrote that we are saved by faith, and the very moment that we believe in Him through that faith, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. We are sealed. We are marked as His. We are protected as His until the day of our final redemption when we see Jesus face to face. Listen to me. What that means is that you are not sustained by your good works and your goodness. You are sustained by the grace of God who has sealed you with His Holy Spirit until the day of your final redemption. Now, unbeliever, I I, I want you to hear me. If you are here today as an unbeliever, there is no yoke of your own good works that must be worn in order to be made whole and right with God. None. You don't have to get your life together before you come to Jesus. In fact, you can't get your life together. The only thing that is required, Jesus has given us. All of it. In his life, his death, his resurrection. So unbeliever, what I would say, if you're here today, I am really excited that you were here today. What a great day to be here. This is the good news of the gospel. Not that you have to get yourself together. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken care of all of it for you. He has done it. But let me tell you something. This good news is not just for unbelievers. This good news is for you, believer. Believer, do not pick up the oppressive yoke of working to maintain your salvation. You are His now and forevermore by His grace. And, and listen, his love for you and his acceptance of you is not based on how many good things you do or how many bad things that you avoid or how nice you are as a Christian. It is firmly rooted in one place, Jesus and Jesus alone. And because of Jesus, his love for you is unshakable, period. Nothing can separate you from his love, Romans 8 so, so their conclusion, right? Their conclusion. The gospel frees us, praise God. The gospel frees us. We are, we are free because of Jesus, free from the law of works. We come to Christ broken and needy, and he gives us all that we need. We are, we are free from having to achieve goodness and working to earn good standing with our Father. We are, we are free from that. That's what they concluded, free from the law. But, and that is incredible news, there's a second part to this, and it is a call for restraint. A call for restraint. Foregoing freedom for the good of others. Look at what James said in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Freedom from the law. And then he says, but... We should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
Why would James and the council conclude on the one hand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that we are free from the law, and then say, but we should send them a letter and remind them to follow these parts of the law? It would seem, just at a glance, that, that, that what James was doing in the council with him was that he was saying, you're free from the law, now follow the law. You're saved by grace, now do good works. That's not at all what he was saying. Hear me. That is not what he was saying. They are saying we should let the Gentiles know that they are free from the law and from circumcision. Great news. But we should write them and ask them to abstain from these things. Things sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality, um, animals that have been strangled but not bled out. To abstain from blood. We should ask them to remove themselves from this. Because, he's saying, in their city there are a lot of Jews who are being taught this is what it means to, to be with God. Now stick with me. There, there are Jews in your cities writing to these Gentiles and he's saying, there are Jews in your city who will not let you near because you do this. Keep following it. There are Jews in your city that will never hear you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the way you live. What he's saying is while, while some of these things you, you, are, you are absolutely free to enjoy, like meat sacrificed to idols, you should set aside your freedom for the good of others and for the sake of the gospel. If, if there's any hope, he's saying, for the Gentiles to be reached by the Jews, or if there is even hope for the Jew and the Gentile to come together in the Christian community, then it is probably better that you, you forego your freedoms and, and, and set that aside so that you can enjoy one another, love one another, share the gospel with others, rather than to enjoy this temporal fr freedom. Sometimes it is best for the sake of the gospel and for the good of others that we set aside our freedoms. Hey, that's true today. Paul would, would, would later write to the Corinthians that, that, that all things may be permissible, but they are definitely not all beneficial. And Paul would say to the Corinthians that we should be willing in love, in love, we should be willing to set aside our freedoms. We should love others more than we love ourselves. We should love others more than we love the freedom. I think, I think that's what James was saying here. Missionally, forego your freedoms for the good of others. In love, forego your freedoms for others. Be, be ready, be willing to set aside your free freedoms for the sake of the gospel and for the good of, of others. Modern example, just in case you aren't making a connection. 
you may have freedom to drink alcohol and to enjoy it. Sometimes it is better in love that you set aside your freedom for the good of your brother and for the good of others missionally. Are you with me? Do I need to say it again? I only heard three people. And there were two head nods. Y'all, do we understand what Paul is saying? I, I think there is, there is that, and I think there is more than that. James mentions sexual immorality as something to be set aside. The word that he used here is uh, porneo, which is just um, sexual sin. Um, one of the uh, well-known um, Kittle, Bromley, Friedrich. Uh, they give us a definition here. They have studied the ancient language and context uh, and, and define this as um, sexual sins, including adultery, fornication, licentiousness, and homosexuality. It, it seems here with, with James using this word that it's not just a missional thing. It, it, it is also a sanctification thing. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. It's a call to holiness. We, we forego things that might be freedoms, right? Because our sins are covered. We, we forego those things to walk holy. When, when Peter wrote his letter to the churches, uh, he, he, he reminded them that God is the same today as he was yesterday, and the call for his people to be holy is the same today as it was yesterday, same in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. God says, be holy for I am holy. Jesus, the perfect man, walked a perfectly holy life. Now, I, 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 I want us to understand that, that Jesus did what we were meant to do. Jesus lived the life that we were created to live. We were supposed to be holy. Our brokenness is not a good thing. Our brokenness is a bad thing. And so this call to be holy is really God calling us to be what he created us to be. Be holy, created in his image as he is holy. And so I, 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 I think that, that James is, is not just calling us for restraint for missional reasons as we love our neighbor, but, but it's also a call to holiness for us. And, and I, I think in, in seeing this, we, we, we can see where for us we might tend to land. Uh, I find that, that most people fall in one or, or, or of two camps. And, and I think if we're honest, we, we might vacillate back and forth on some level between these two. One is legalism, and, and we live in a culture that is very legalistic. And what I mean by that is, is not a call to be holy because we are children of God. I mean legalism in the sense of what must I do to be saved? I mean legalism in the sense of what must I do in order for God to love me? How many good things must I do? That's legalism. 
That's not the call to holiness. That is earning our place with God. We live in a culture that that often calls the church not to holiness as an overflow of who we are, but to earn our standing with God. And what, what the council does is throws that in the garbage. And that's beautiful. The council says, no, that is not the way you are accepted by God. It's not about your works. It's all about Jesus. Because of Jesus, legalism is tossed in the trash. But then there is, there is then some who would, who would tend toward license, who would say, well, if I am saved by grace and my sins are no longer seen by God, then what I do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I drink a little too much. It doesn't matter if, if, if I do this or I don't do that. None of those things matter because I'm saved by grace. Paul says, may it never be, right? In, in, in Romans 6, he addressed it. He addressed this side of, of, of license. Paul said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So should we keep on sinning because how we live doesn't matter? Paul says, no, may it never be. You have died to sin with Christ and you've been raised to a newness of life. Live there. And I think the council is saying the same thing. Right? I think the council is saying to the legalist, garbage. To license, garbage. Be holy. Be holy as he is holy. So the council's decision. Freedom from the law. Salvation by God's grace and not our works. Praise God for that. Amen? This is really, really good news. But we are reminded it's freedom with a call for restraint. Restraint for the sake of holiness as we are are taking the image of Jesus. Restraint for the sake of holiness and restraint for the sake of the gospel message. In love for others and for the mission that God has created us for. So, so they send their uh, findings, their decision to the churches. And, 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 and I want us to see uh, the result of that, the result of their message, right? The letter is sent by the council to the churches, and it's read in the churches. And in verse 31, um, we see this. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. There was joy. There was joy. The gospel brings joy. Works bring pride and sorrow. Works bring weariness. The gospel brings joy. Right? Legalism brings pride, sorrow, and weariness. The gospel brings joy. License, I will tell you there is no joy there. You will never find enough. But the gospel brings joy. So, what then is our call from this to the church for me? Here's the first thing I would say. Believe this good news. This good news. This good news for unbelievers 
to, to know that you are, you are welcomed and accepted in Jesus. This good news for believers, that you too are welcomed and kept by the grace of God in Jesus. The good news is that Jesus saves, not you. So believe, believe this good news. Secondly, proclaim this good news. Proclaim this good news to those who are yoked with oppression. The oppression of of trying to be good. Trying to be good enough. Trying to work hard enough. Trying to earn good standing with God. That might be believers or unbelievers. Proclaim this good news, right? To both believers and unbelievers. Thirdly, humble yourself and be willing to set aside your freedoms for the sake of the gospel and the good of others. Please, let's be those people. Let's be a people who who are humble enough, willing enough, loving enough to set aside our freedoms for the sake of others. Fourthly, remember that the gospel brings freedom from the law I am thankful for that. I love bacon. Remember. Remember bacon. That'll be it. That's all you'll remember. (laughs) Remember the gospel brings freedom from the law, but it does not free us to sin. Amen? Neither does it free us to love our freedom more than we love our neighbor. Here's the last thing, New City. I've said it, but I'm going to say it again. We live in a culture here in the Bible Belt South who does not know this gospel. We live in a culture where, where, where plenty of people, the vast, vast majority of people can say the gospel. Oh, yes, I know the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. Believe in him. And I go to heaven. But in our culture, there are many who feel that they are not worthy of God's love because they have failed so many times to get their life together. There are people, I was one of them. I was one of them who tried and tried and tried to get my life together so that I could just go to Jesus. I didn't know the gospel. And, and our world is filled with those people who believe that they have to get their lives together, that, that they have to stop their drinking, they have to stop drugs, they have to stop whatever it is that they're doing before they can come to Jesus. Listen to me, they need to know the good news of the gospel. They can't clean themselves up for Jesus, but they don't have to. They don't have to. They need to hear from you the true gospel. There are others, family, who believe that Jesus saves, and I think that they are believers. They believe that Jesus saves, but they are saddled with the wearying work of keeping God happy. They are constantly working and trying and doing and striving to stay in His good standing, to keep God from being angry with them, or or maybe to keep from losing their salvation. Listen, some of those people go to New City. They need you to share the good news that Jesus has taken care of this. They need you to say, stop striving, you are loved. 
Stop trying. God, God loves you. Stop trying to earn the love that is already yours in Christ. They need you to tell them that they can rest in Him. That His yoke is easy and His burden is light. They need to hear from you that because of, of Jesus... Their father's wrath has been forever turned away. He is not angry with them. They need you to remind them that he loved them so much that he sealed them with his spirit, marking them as his, protecting them until the day of their final redemption. New City, we need to we need to believe this gospel. We, we need to be filled with the joy that this gospel brings. And, 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 and as we are, this, this gospel brings that joy and that joy overflows. And then we need to invite, we need to invite the people around us to enjoy the joy that is ours. To join us in that joy. Who can be saved, right? That was the question that we started with. Who can be saved? It's not just Jewish people. It's not, it's not just good people. It's whoever believes in Jesus. You are His. Let's pray. Father, what beautiful news this gospel is that we so quickly forget. Lord, it is, it is hard to imagine that we can be so loved when we come face to face with the reality of how bad we really are. And yet, that is the beauty of the gospel. That we are woefully bad. And yet, your love overflows for us. Remind us, Holy Spirit, again and again and again of this beautiful truth. Help us to believe this gospel. Help us to be filled with the, the joy that should be ours because of it. And then I pray that we would invite others into this joy as well. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.